Now, what does God's word say about hope, about perseverance? You know, my, my landlord at, at university had a great way with words. If I asked him, hey, Jack, how's things? He'd say, all the better for seeing you. I mean, wow, what a, what a, what a wonderful thing to say. <laughs> it meant I was, I, I was important to him. And at, at other times when I asked, hey, Jack, how was your day? He'd say, pressing on to the great and glorious. Pressing on to the great and glorious. Because he was a, a Christian, he had a very positive sense of purpose. I mean, whatever difficulties he had at work, they each had a role to play in his journey with Christ. Now, pressing on is one of Paul's themes in this letter to the church at Philippi that we are looking at in these Sundays. Pressing on is about leaving what's behind, about knowing Christ in the present, and looking forward to being with him in the future. Last week, Tony covered some of the things that we must uh, leave behind. Uh, we talked about religious rules. We talked about personal achievements. I mean, Paul had been a, a fantastic Pharisee. He'd passed all the religious exams. He had a perfect Jewish lifestyle. But now he counts his ancestry and the rules he's kept and all that being a Pharisee made him do as that he may rather know Christ, meaning know Jesus as a friend and experiencing the power of his resurrection life. Because Jesus, life with Jesus isn't about rules or targets that we've reached. It's about relationship. It's about having Jesus as our elder brother, knowing God as Father through him. And for those of you who uh, don't know these little squiggles at the top right-hand corner, the bottom left-hand corner, this is Bengali. <laughs> because there was a guy in Singapore, he, he drew this, and I just thought it was very special. And the word is love, right? <laughs> it's a friendship. And it, this is a picture to me of, drawn by a, a Bangladeshi guy in Singapore about, about friendship. Now, great Christian that Paul now is, has he arrived fully knowing God? No. No. And we can read out loud now uh, from Philippians what he says. It'll be on the screen here. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Let's, let's read it out together. And this is Paul speaking, right? Say it together. Not that I have already obtained all this, or that I have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Now, next slide. You see these energetic words in red? Press on. Take hold. 
strain towards, win the prize. There is no such thing as let go and let God in Paul's life. I mean, Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as happens in heaven, meaning, yes, we submit to God's sovereignty and we accept his will for us, but we are not to be passive. We have to strive, we have to strain, we have to take hold of God's life in us to wrestle with God through faith, with hard questions, wrestling like Ian has had to do. Why did my dad die? Why, Lord, have you let my child be on drugs? Why, Lord, am I so shy? Why is my brother so difficult? Why can't I get a job? All things we have to work out with God. And pressing on means this working out, how to apply the life of Christ that is inside us to each one of these situations. Seeing them from God's point of view and being molded by them into Jesus' shape as the Holy Spirit brings us step by step to maturity. The Christian life always has purpose and is always on the path that leads to Jesus. We do not go round and round in a never-ending cycle of life and death like they do in, in Eastern religions. We are going to see Jesus. Now, the Philippian church was going through uncertain times. It was tensed up because of difficulties that he hadn't faced before. I mean, persecution had started. I mean, Paul himself, he wrote this letter from, from prison. Nero was the new emperor. And more than that, false teaching was coming into the church. It was tough. Nobody knew what was going to happen next. And here, today, in Tower Hamlet, in the UK. Our times feel a bit uncertain. The institutional church is in retreat. When the Archbishop of Canterbury says something, nobody pays any attention to him. The sea is rising. The justice and the truth that we've enjoyed for the last hundred or so years, they are being pushed aside which makes Paul's letter for us as much as it was for the Philippians. I mean, in these uncertain times, how should we behave? What should control us? What should our objectives be? We don't know what's going to happen. What matters most? Press on, says Paul. Press on. Claim what? Christ has prepared for you. Concentrate in the first place on your relationship with him. Now to help us fully grasp what Paul is saying, we're going to look at three E's. Paul's next slide, Paul's own example, his exhortation, 
and the Christian's expectation. Follow my example, Paul says. Start with some stock-taking. He asks in his letter, how much do I, Paul, know Christ? Excuse me, my thing's falling off. How much do I know the power of his resurrection? Does the love of Christ control me, Paul, completely? And even though he's an exemplary Christian, Paul says, not as much as it should. I am not there yet, but I am determined to be. Because as Jesus has claimed me, I must energetically claim him. We've said, as a Pharisee, that Paul had arrived. Top marks, Pharisee, five stars. But he can't say that of his Christian life because God is so big, there will always be something more for him to learn. We will arrive when we die. That is Jesus' promise. Until then, each of us is getting there, pressing on, working out what our being in Christ means. Each day and each situation is an opportunity for us to discover something more about God. We must forget what is behind, and I don't mean that we should forget God's mercies, all the valuable lessons that he's taught us, but particularly we must forget the sin that we have repented of. God has dealt with it. Jesus has dealt with it completely. We must forget any bitterness. We must forget past failure. What, mo what matters is our life in Christ now, that we grow out of the small views probably that we had of God before and appreciate God's fullness and that we are important to him. The glory that is ahead will outshine all the glories we've experienced already. We must press on as God's children and as his church to the great and glorious. We will serve him. We will put him first, no matter the cost. I mean, the world will think we are crazy but our joy will overflow. Now, what is this goal, this prize that Paul speaks of that we're heading towards? From his other letters, we can see it's hearing the Lord say, well done. It's receiving a crown of righteousness. It's seeing the face of Christ. It's experiencing what no eye has seen or ear heard. It's hope that gets bigger and bigger. Here on earth, hope is certainty of time, uncertainty of event. As in, we hope it will be fine tomorrow. Okay? The emphasis is on the time, tomorrow. In the Bible, it's the other way around. Hope is 
uncertainty of time, but certainty of event, as in, we shall be with him, for we will see him as he is. All right? Earthly hope is vague in terms of event. In heavenly hope, there is no doubt at all. And then Paul goes on and he exhorts his readers. And let's read together again the next uh, part of the passage that we're studying. This is verses 15 to 19. Let's all read out loud. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, are you familiar with two ways to live? The material looks like this, okay? It's about making choices. It's about, it's a real challenge to us Christians. I mean, who is the king in your life? And that's what Paul is actually asking us here. What matters to you most? Is it Jesus or your belly? Is it Jesus or your personal satisfaction? Which is your moral authority? Is it Christ or is it what your tummy tells you? When Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, the problem wasn't just that they were disobeying God. What they were doing, because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were appropriating moral authority for themselves. Right? So it's not just disobeying God, but it's trying to make themselves into moral experts, which is quite wrong. Because moral authority is God's prerogative. And so Paul exhorts us, beware the belly. Beware self. God is the decision maker, not us. Our destination is God through Christ. Okay? But if we don't submit to him, and our horizon is nothing more than the, than the world, our destination, Paul warns us, is destruction. So Christians, beware your belly, deciding what is wrong and what is right. Okay? God decides what is right and what is wrong. Well, our experience is, I'm sure yours is the same as mine, that our bellies... And Christ, actually, they pull against each other. Okay? So the pathway of our lives is a battle. And it's a battle that...
that in every decision, no matter how small the decision is, we have to choose what is right in Christ's eyes. Do you remember Jesus' teaching about the wide, the easy way, and the narrow, the hard way? The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we pandering to ourselves? Are we justifying our wrongdoing? Is worldliness the center of our attention? Is survival of the fittest more important than enjoyment of God? Be careful. Beware. Paul exhorts us. The world is not the end. Whatever is true and honorable, whatever is just and pure, think on these things. The values of the one who died on the cross are directly opposed to the values of the world. And moreover, if Jesus has taken our sin away, how can we still live in sin? The relationship that we have with God must determine what we, are, what we do. And now our expectation that Christ is our hope. Let's read again. This is verses 20 and 21 of Philippians chapter 3. Reading out loud together. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Though we live in the present, the Bible never draws a line between past and present and future because the blessings of the past and the demands of the future all affect the present. There's a lot for, for us to work out between Christ's death and resurrection and between seeing him in glory. Those who are what the Bible calls the enemies of the cross, they devote themselves to their bodies, making a god of their appetites. I mean, if you look at a weekend newspaper, how much of a weekend newspaper is, de is dedicated to looking after your body? Christians are waiting for their bodies not to look better, but to be totally transformed. And all the time, as we wrestle with what God has done and what he will do, we are watching for Jesus' second coming. The promise is that our bodies with their downward pull into sensuality and anger and aging and illness, all of these things which clog our spirits, they will be, at the second coming, transformed to be like his glorious body, like a, a wrinkled seed becomes a flower. And when Jesus comes again, he will bring us into the full possession of the salvation that he has obtained for us on the cross. At the second coming, what is spiritual for us here in time will become reality in eternity as we are transformed. So are we watching and waiting for him? 
Jesus' second coming is a, is a promise without a date so that we may live daily preparing to meet our Lord. We are aliens waiting for the king of a far country to come and fetch us. And our task until then is to press on to the great and the glorious. Now, it's possible that some of you have uh, objections to what Paul is saying or what I am saying. And if we stick with this letter E, there may be things that you want to inquire about or questions that you want explanations for. Or you might even say, isn't this all a bit extreme? All this banging on about Jesus. Mike, it's escapism. Christians find they can't cope, so they use Jesus as a crutch. And I'm with you in that because I tell you, I used to think that. But I've come to see it depends who Jesus is. If he is the creator God who is drawing us back to himself in spite of us going wrong, and if we were designed in the first place to live with him in friendship, this isn't escapism at all. It's us coming back to how we were created to be. Ah, but you say, Mike, it sounds exhausting. All this pressing on and striving and worshipping God continually. Well, if you think like this, I want to suggest that your God is too small. There is no end to God. In him, everything is always new. Everything is always fresh. There are always more wonders to discover. And in him, everything gets more and more beautiful. And working out who God is and what he has done and how this affects our lives minute by minute is not exhausting. I tell you, it's exhilarating. I've said that this letter to the Philippians is Paul helping the Christian brothers and sisters there to press on in uncertain times. We don't want this to happen, and we can pray that it won't happen to us. But in a few weeks' time, some of us may have flu, very seriously. Australia has been on fire. While in the UK, even this weekend, we have continuing storms. I mean, these are uncertain times. Okay? But let's look at what Jesus said. Speaking of the end times, he says in Luke 21, this is Luke 21, 11, there will be great earthquakes, there will be famines, and there will be pestilences. That's what flu is, it's pestilence, in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. I tell you, there is no 
uncertainty in what God does. There were nearly 2,000 years between Jesus being first promised to us and his coming into the world. His coming was certain, but the timing was not certain. He came when everything was ready. Paul, in another letter, he describes this as when the time had fully come, meaning at the right time. And Jesus' second coming will also be at the right time with absolute certainty. Fires and pestilences, they may be heralding this. We're not used to these types of things happening, and certainly they unsettle us. But as they impact on our world, they are part of the certainty of God's final salvation. And maybe I should have called this sermon not pressing on in uncertain times, but pressing on in certainty. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. And so I hope, yes, we will be humbled, we will be challenged, but I hope you are encouraged. Jesus is with us. Jesus will be with us. As Paul says at the beginning of this same letter to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So let us press on, as my landlord recommended, to the great and glorious. In Jesus' name, amen.